Hello, thanks for tuning in to the West Side Podcast. This is where we're going to be posting some of the audio from our gatherings on Sundays, and we're hoping to develop some other content that we're excited to share with you in the future. West Side's vision is to reconcile people to God through the grace of Jesus, step by step. And we really hope that this podcast helps you do just that. We hope it helps you get closer to Jesus. We hope that you would be reconciled to God and not only that, be reconciled to the relationships around you and to the city that you live in, wherever that happens to be. Again, thanks for tuning in and enjoy. Today's scriptures comes from the letter written by the Apostle Paul to the Christians in Rome, chapter 12, verses 1 through 18. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the the behaviors and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give you this warning. Don't think you're better than you really are. Be honest in your evolution of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith God has given us. Just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body, we are many parts of one body and we all belong to each other. In his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is giving or serving others, serve them well. If you're a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it is giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. Don't just pretend to love others, really love them. Hate what is wrong, hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope, be patient in trouble and keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them, pray that God will bless them. Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people and don't think you know it all. Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. This is God's words. Thank you. Oh man, that is a that is a, a monumental passage. So much in there, but it has so much to do with what we're going to talk about for these next three weeks. Um, something came across my, um, I think it was an email that I got, but I, when I got it, it was it was like eight months ago or something. I, I took a screenshot of it because it just made me laugh. It also like it also made me sad because is it, it was like what was going on in our in our culture at the time. But this email came came across. Can you put that picture up there, Caleb? It was uh, it was this number that you can call to just scream. Like that's literally what it was. It's a, it's a hotline, all right, and you can just call it and then they record, they just record your voice and you just, you just scream just because of 
like the kind of year that we were having in 2000, 2000 and uh, I guess this was in uh, 2021. I think it was like right at the beginning of 2021 when everybody was like, oh, 2021 is going to be so much better than 2020. And then 2021 started and it was like, oh man, this is going to be another rough year. And then you not only could scream um, into the phone just to get it out, but you could also listen to other people's screams, which is... It just made me. It just made me laugh. Like, who has time to set this up? You know, like, are people actually doing this? But also, I just—it's interesting that, like, this was this came across my inbox. You know, like, this is actually a thing that life can be so challenging, so frustrating, that sometimes you just you just want to scream. And uh, I know we've all had moments like that, many moments in this past year and a half, and uh, and uh, and. This is, uh, as, as, as COVID started and as we as a church started to pivot everything we were doing, we were, started doing everything online initially. And remember, we all, we're all like, oh, this is going to be a two-week thing, maybe a four-week thing, you know? And then it turned, four weeks turned into four months and, and, then, just, and, then, and then just kept on going. Um, we had to pivot and, and figure out what to do differently. And one of the things that we noticed, one of the things that I've noticed as we've been doing this together um, as, a, as a church family through, through this season is that there was, there was a, COVID kind of pushed all of us. I like to, we, we, me and our team, are, we've been using this illustration of a pool. Like COVID kind of threw us out into the deep end of the pool um, in a lot of different ways, emotionally, relationally, um, spiritually, and in a discipleship sort of way. It was, you know, we, we couldn't gather on Sunday mornings. And let's be honest, church online, even though we hope that it was helpful, even though we gave it our best shot, even though we did our very best with what we could do with what we had, um, church online was, you know, not awesome. You know, like it wasn't fantastic. It wasn't like everybody's most favorite thing, like please more church online. You know, I want to watch Brooks talk for 40 minutes, you know, on my, on my device. That's not what we were all like pining for, you know. And, uh, and so it kind of tossed us out into the deep end and we, and we didn't have these Sunday gatherings or, or, or really uh, hardly any kind of other significant gatherings with other Christians. And so what do you do, you know, and it kind of tossed us out there. And here's what we noticed is that, is that some people, some people, sw- uh, you know, weren't, um, were, you know, they, they weren't able to hang out in the, in, in the deep end. They had to swim to the shallow end or they had to swim to the side and hold on to the sides of the pool. And some people, though, through COVID, they thrived. They thrived. And it's because, it's because when COVID started, um, they had something that other people didn't have. They had something like this, all right? Some of you, some of you thrived through COVID, even though you weren't able to gather for church because you were tossed into the deep end. And for some of you, you had one of these things. And even though it was hard and even though it was, it was awkward, you were, you, you, people grew spiritually, even through COVID. They grew even in their relationships with each other, even through COVID, because they had this. They had something that other people didn't have. And that, that thing, that floaty, that thing that you had that, that other people didn't have was called community. You had a smaller community that you relied on, that you leaned into during COVID. And for so many people, they had to call that hotline and scream because they didn't have any other significant people to, to scream to. They didn't have 
that, that tight relationship, that community that they could lean into. And so they had to call a number and scream because they didn't have a smaller group of people that they could just, they could just process with, that they could just work through some of the issues that they were working through. And there was a lot of issues to work through and there are still a lot of issues that we're working through right now. Life is complicated and you can't do it alone. And if you try to do it alone, you're gonna find yourself screaming into one end of a phone line. What we need, what we need, what, what people who thrived through COVID had was they had community and it helped them float. It helped them navigate these difficult waters that we've been in. And if we, we don't know what's gonna happen next. Um, we have to adjust rendezvous. I don't know what we're gonna have to adjust next. I don't know if there's gonna be another lockdown someday. Or you know what? We don't even know if in five years down the line, there's gonna be COVID-20 or however they number these things. Like we don't, we don't know what's gonna happen in the future, but here's what I want for you. And here's why we're gonna spend the next three weeks on this. And the scripture just talks about it over and over and over again. We don't know what's gonna happen in the future, but I want you and I want me, I want our lives to be pandemic proof. And that doesn't mean that you're gonna be protected like physically from the pandemic. What I mean is that I want us to be pandemic proof in that we are people that invest in community that we invest in the relationships around us, that we don't just wait till it's hard to do that because as we all know, it's, that's a hard time to build community when things get hard. When you build community is when things are, are a little bit more stable. And I recognize that things don't feel super stable in our culture right now. But regardless of where we're at, I, I want us, I want you, I want me, I want us to be pandemic proof. And the way that we do that, what we've learned is that the people that were able to make it through are the people that had community around them. And so I had Gianna read Romans chapter 12 because in that passage, I think there's so, so much for us about what it looks like uh, to be community together um, because what we really have in our culture right now is a crisis of community. It's a crisis of community. It's a crisis of belonging. And people feel more lonely than ever. People feel more disconnected from each other than ever before. Um, so, you know, I'm just gonna kinda, I'm gonna kinda give us some context and then I'm gonna um, just pull out a couple things from this passage of scripture. But um, we have to go back a little bit to understand how we got here and we can't do it all. Um, but I wanna take you back just 250 years to what's called the industrial revolution because that changed so much and it's, it informs so much about where we're at right now. Before the industrial revolution, People largely lived in community with their clan, with their tribe, with their, you know, with their trade guild. Maybe it was a feudal land system, but it was an extended family. And you lived long term in these, and usually it was agrarian. It was, it was center, centered around work together, that families and extended families and tribes, they would, they would survive with each other. They would look out for one another and they would build things and grow things together and there was this closeness and connectedness where work and family were interlinked as large communities sought to survive off the land through their commitment to each other and to their group. But then the Industrial Revolution changed everything. So what happened in the Industrial Revolution is technology advanced, factories, we learned how to, how to produce, mass produce things. And what happened is people moved, slowly moved away from the home where the home was the center of production. And that production happened more in factories. Those factories tended to be in very urban areas. So people moved away from the farms towards, you know, cities got bigger, farms tended to, tended to get smaller. 
And, uh, and then that, that atomized the family out, where before that, the husband and the wife and the kids and the extended family, they would work together. There was this common purpose. There was this, there was this thing that they did together. But now, because of the Industrial Revolution, you know, the, the mom's out, the dad's out, the kids are doing this. And slowly, just that, that, that connectedness, that community just gets pushed pushed out. And instead of producing goods, families now go out and make money so that they can consume goods. There's this huge, huge shift that happened because of the Industrial Revolution. And what it did was it heightened the value of the individual preference over the community. Do you see that? Before that, it was, it was community's needs first, and, th- and, then, and then my needs kind of fit into the context of the community needs. But the Industrial Revolution sent us on this path. And I'm not saying progress is bad, and I'm not saying, you know, that factories are bad. None of that. It's just this is where, this is the stream that we find ourselves in. Now we're in a place where the individual is more valued and heightened over, over the group. It was a big shift. And so now, even today, we are not, we're not, uh, you know, an industrial uh, community or a culture now. We're post-industrial, <laughs> meaning that we don't even work in factories anymore, most of us. I mean, now it's even more atomized out and families are disconnected. And, and the only thing that really connects people in our culture, the only mechanisms that connect people in our culture now are are, are individual common interests and preferences. That we have certain likes and dislikes. And so if you like the band U2 and I like the band U2, then we might go to a U2 concert and we can connect because we both like U2, but that's as but that's as deep, that's as deep as the, the relationship tends to get. And that's where we find ourselves in our culture right now. And um, and uh, so here's a couple hallmarks of 21st century American relationships where we find ourselves right now. It's first of all, it's individual preference. It's me versus the we. It's, it's me, is, me is greater than the we. So my individual preferences always just are first over the groups. And then also what that leads to is a fear of commitment. It's a fear of commitment. Um, in the 21st century America, we prize our ability to choose and to express ourselves through our own personal preferences and choices. And so we become adverse to commitment because we don't want to commit to something that runs contrary to our preferences or limits our future choices. I'm afraid to commit because what if I like this today, but what if I don't like this in three days? Well, and, you know, and, and if my life is just based around my personal preferences, then you know, I don't want to commit because what, you know? And, and so we just, it leaves us just floating without an anchor. Here's a quote by David Jansen. He says, the 20th century will be remembered as an age of wondrous creativity when Americans voluntarily shattered their lives into distant and dissonant fragments. America's industries learned how to assemble atomic bombs, airplanes, iPads, and the genetic codes of life itself in the same era that American society disassembled the ancient overlap of family, food, faith, and the field of work. Americans reached for the stars as they withered their roots. That's a line right there. Americans reached for the stars as they withered their roots, inhabited space, but lost any sense of place. What this has done has led to four things. The results are this, instability, loneliness, loss of freedom, and an unknown identity, an untethered, unanchored identity. Four things that this has resulted in. Um, You could put those four things up there, Caleb. I think I have those. Uh, Instability, loneliness, loss of freedom, 
and unknown identity. First, instability. So in a preference-based society, my preferences change. And so therefore, everything is changing. There's just, there's just no stability because I'm just, everything's changing all the time. Um, uh, then there's loneliness, that even though I may be connected to many people via, via social media or shared experiences, I feel more isolated and more alone because my relationships now, just because they're based on personal preference, they tend to be shallow. Uh, I read an interesting book called, called iGen by, uh, by Jean Twenge and, um, and writes about, writes about just, a, just a, tons of studies that they've done and, uh, over long periods of time over teens and their sense of place and their sense of joy and purpose. And what they, what they recorded after interviewing just thousands and thousands of teenagers that, uh, you know, teenagers kind of t- always tend to kind of be like this, but... But generally, generally, there was sort of like an upward trend of, of I feel, uh, I feel uh, happy, I feel um, worth, worth something, I feel like I have a future, um, that, uh, you know, that I'm willing to put, put myself aside for the, for the group, that there was this upward trend, but in 2011, 2012, took a really sharp decline. Just really sharp decline. In 2011, 2012, that suddenly just, just teenagers were feeling just less, less meaning in their life and less happy and just more, more distracted. What do you think was that thing that happened in 2011, 2012? What do you think, what, just think in your head for a second. What, was, what happened in 2011, 2012? What was that thing? Smartphones. Smartphones. Suddenly now when you are connected to the world, you feel more disconnected than ever. Suddenly now, when you can be surrounded by any social group that you could find yourself with, the more connected you are, suddenly just the less, the, the less happy, the, 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 the more they, they discovered that the happiness went down, narcissistic tendencies went, went up. That's what happens because of the collapse of our community. Um, then that leads to a loss of freedom which you would think would be the opposite. Like a loss, you'd think that, man, if I, can, if I have a smartphone and if I can have more choices, then that makes me more free, right? I mean, if I can do whatever I wanna do, that makes me more free, right? And the answer is no. That actually takes away freedom. Listen to what John Tyson says. He says this, when we make decisions based solely on individual preference, preferences, we become increasingly controlled by our current emotions, bodily urges, and present thinking. Ironically, while, while we are free to choose, we actually lose our freedom to the mood of the day, which often keeps us from carrying out our previous commitments. When we, do, when we do not exercise the freedom of control over our moods and bodies, we never rise above our mood or circumstances to proactively choose who we will be. Along with this, we also lose the ability to be a part of any group or community for an extended period of time. And therefore, we lose out on the freedom that comes from trust, intimacy, and growth over the long haul. Isn't that fascinating? That, that what happens is, is when, when, I, when, I, uh, when I think I have more things to choose and there's more options and like, isn't that freeing? No, actually, that when I just follow my feelings, like, oh, you know, it's the 60s again. We'll just follow free love. No, I'll tell you what the 60s did. You know what free love did? It didn't just, it didn't make sex better and give like, and give more, more you know, free love. What it does is, is, it, is it enslaved people to their emotions and to their feelings and to their bodily urges. 
that that's what it does. It takes away your freedom. It doesn't give you more freedom. And so when we live our lives disconnected like this and just on our personal preferences, chasing the feelings, we don't get more free. In fact, we get less free. And then the last thing that happens is, is we get an, un, there's, it becomes an unknown identity. It's an unknown identity that happens. Here's another quote by John Tyson. Um, and that's, we've got that on the screen too. It says, in a, preference based, in a preference-based society, I am what I currently feel and choose. There is no consistency. In a preference-based society, I am what I currently feel and choose. There is no consistency around who I am and what I will do in the future. I am only known by my current actions, and few people are around me long enough to even see these changes over time. Each room I enter, I am entirely new and only known by that day and that choice. And the same is true for each person I meet. And that's fascinating. Just, you just lose your sense of identity. And we could bemoan all these things, but what I just want to say is thank God that we get to be formed by a different narrative and a different story. Thank God that we get to be formed by, the, by, by our King Jesus. We get to be formed, Christ-centered, formed. And so we don't have to live out that story. We can live out a completely different story. God has a different story for you that he wants for your relationships and for your community. That we, as the church, we get to be a contrast culture, a counterculture. That in here, not just in this building, but in our relationships, we get to exhibit the kind of relationships that are a testimony to the world. A testimony to the world where they look at how we do it and they say, that is different. That, I have, I have never seen that before. What are some hallmarks of a Christ-centered, Christ-centered relationships? Here's what it is. These are relationships formed by Christ. This is, uh, this is it's bigger than me. So it's, it's, it's a me versus the we. It's the, it's, sorry, it's the we versus the me, rather. That, uh, that, that I can put the, the we first, and then I can have the, the me find itself in the middle of there. It's, a, it's life is bigger than me, and also it's commitment-based. And it leads to four things. It leads to stability. It leads to intimacy. It leads to freedom. And it leads to an identity, a tethered identity, an anchored identity identity. So real quick, stability and intimacy. <laughs> we can have stability and intimacy because we can make promises that we intend to keep. Verse 10 um, in, uh, in Romans chapter 12 that Gianna read, it says, it says, be devoted to one another in love. Devoted. Be devoted to one another in love. That we, are, we as Christ followers get to be stubbornly devoted to each other and that creates a, creates a foundation where I can know others and where I can be known. We have in here, here in, 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 in our family, we have to be stubbornly devoted to one another. Are you stubbornly devoted to one another? Or do you let, or do you let one offense be the thing that just causes everything to crumble? Are we going to be stubbornly devoted to one another? That creates a stability. That creates an intimacy. And then that leads to freedom. It leads to freedom. Because now I'm not a slave to my current mood and circumstances. I'm now free to make promises and keep them instead of doomed to follow my current mood and to break my promises. Here's another quote by Lewis Smedes. He says this, is when you make a promise, you tie yourself to other persons by unseen fibers of loyalty. You agree to stick with the people you are stuck with. I love that. You are free, you are free 
uh, to, uh, sorry, you agree to stick with the people you are stuck with. When everything else tells them that they can count on nothing, they can count on you. When they do not have the faintest notion of what in the world is going on around them, they will know that you are going to be there with them. You know what you've done? You have created a small sanctuary of trust within the jungle of unpredictability. That's a line right there too. He says, you have created a small sanctuary of trust within the jungle of unpredictability. You have made a promise that you intend to keep. It actually gives us more freedom because we are promising one another. You think that a promise would restrict your freedom, but no, making a promise means you are in con- you're in control of your future, even though you don't know what tomorrow brings because you are made a promise and you're gonna stick to that promise. And then lastly, that can give you an, an identity, an identity. It's an invitation um, that God is inviting us into. This kind of community is an invitation. The reason why he can invite us into this is because he is a promise-keeping God. He keeps his promises. He knows how to do this, and so he wants to invite us into it. Um, one, of the things about the, one of the things about the doctrine of the Trinity that I find so fascinating, because for a long time I've just been so confused by the doctrine of the Trinity, and I still am, and I've used this quote a bunch of times in the past, so just bear with me. But uh, Augustine said this, that if, if, you try to, if you try to deny the Trinity, you lose your soul, but if you try to explain the Trinity, you lose your mind. And he's a smart guy. And so trying to understand the Trinity, God, Father, Holy Spirit, you know, the the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit together, one, like separate. Oh my goodness, like how does it work? But here's here's one of my biggest takeaways about that doctrine, why I think it's so important for us to hold on to, even though though we're not sure how how all the implications play out, is that from the beginning of time, God was the ultimate small group. That from the beginning of time, he is the, the essence of community. That in himself, who is one, there is three. And in that threeness, there is so oneness. <laughs> I don't know how you square that circle, but here's what I love about it. Is that God is, God is so like, committed to community. And that he has modeled this, what this looks like. That they're submitted to one another. And, and it's this team it's, that it's one, but it's three. And oh my gosh. But that's what he's inviting us into, that it's in his very nature. That's why when God created Adam, he said, it's not good for you to be alone, that we need each other, that community is how we, how, one of the ways that we follow Jesus together. And you need it, and I need it, and God is inviting you into it. And so just with the last few minutes, and I, I know I know when I say this, it's gonna sound like it's gonna take a long time. I promise it won't, all right? Six things. <laughs> I promise, I promise. <laughs> uh, here's six things about community. It's the priority of it, the proximity of it, the practices, the permanence, the pain, and the product. All P words, because I had three P words, and I was like, I'm just going to keep riding this train because I'm a pastor, and pastors like to do that sort of thing. So, ladies and gentlemen, today's sermon is brought to you by the letter P, all right? Uh, First, the priority of it. The priority of it. First is we have this new identity in Christ and that must take priority over all other earthly identities. 
Let me say that again. Our identity in Christ has to be, has to be primary over all of our other identities. Um, before you are a Republican, before you are a Democrat, before you are vaccinated, before you are unvaccinated, before any of that, you are in Christ and he is in you. Your identity first and foremost is in him, not, in, not first and foremost in any of those other things. And I'm not saying those other things aren't important, but I'll just tell you right now, if you make any of those other things the, the, the primary allegiance in your life, it will crush you and it will crush the relationships around you. We won't be able to get along as a church if we don't make our identity in Christ be the primary thing. Let's not do that. We must choose to not be radicalized by anything else except the radical way of Jesus. We have to. It's the priority of it. Next, it's the proximity and the practices of it. That we have to figure out a way that we have to have these robust, these robust relationships can't be formed by just coming to church for an hour twice a month. Or maybe for you it's once a month. <laughs> or maybe it's once every six months. I don't know. All I'm saying is that these kind of relationships can't be formed with just attending a service every once in a while. It doesn't work that way. I can't get better at basketball if I just go out and dribble for an hour once a month. It just doesn't work. <laughs> That's not how life works. What we have to do is we have to figure out rhythms for us to be close to one another. We have to figure out rhythms to be near and then enter into some just common practices together. This is what the book of Acts says. In Acts chapter 2, here's what we know about the early church. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and they had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in, in uh, they, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved that they just lived life together. There's something so powerful about those practices. Just real quick, I, I read a, a book recently by, by this gal named Shanti Feldhahn. She wrote this book called The Good News About Marriage. And I highly recommend it. It's just, they've done all these studies and probably like me, you've heard this statistic before. Haven't you heard the statistic before that, that, um, that the divorce rate out there is like around 50% and that the divorce rate is the same with Christians as it is with everybody else out there. Have you heard that statistic before? I've heard that statistic forever. Do you know what? It's absolutely not true. It's absolutely not true. The reason why we get that statistic is because when people fill out like, you know, forms or talk to somebody, what they do is they say, hey, what religion do you identify with? And they say, oh, I'm a Christian. Oh, that's a Christian. And then they calculate, then they calculate divorce rates. That's how you get a 50%. But what they've done is they've gone in and asked deeper questions like, oh, you say you're a Christian. Do you attend services regularly? Do, are you in a community group? Uh, do you pray with your spouse? It starts asking questions about practices. And then when you start factoring in the number of what the divorce rate is for the people that actually have practices, do you know what you find? The divorce rate is like nothing. The divorce rate is so far down there. Interesting to st statistic. The people who say that they're Christians but don't have any practices, the divorce rate is up for them than the surrounding culture. Did you hear that statistic? 
That's fascinating. It's the spirit of the Pharisee. It's no good. It's no good. It will mess you up in so many different ways. But if, but if you are somebody that you are following Jesus and there's practices involved, that is powerful. That makes a difference. That's a testimony to the rest of the world. The next one is this, is there's this permanence of it. Uh, Romans says that we are many parts of one body and we all belong to one another. And the cool thing about when you go through the waters of baptism, that you are a, you're part of the family. The church is often described as a family. And you know what I know about families is families are, you know, and with what we know about the early church, the early Christians is they called each other brother and sister. Hey, brother, hey, sister. No other community of people would ever dream of doing that. But the Christians said, no, no matter what, what class you're in, no matter male, female, no matter what, you are my brother and you are my sister. That is powerful. But here's what we know about families. Families are not voluntary. Did you choose your family? I mean, I chose my wife, but that's the only person in my family that I chose. I, I didn't choose my parents and I didn't choose my kids. I mean, we chose to have kids, but you know what I mean. Like family is just what's the, like these people that you're given. And that's a beautiful thing. That's a beautiful thing. It's a stretching thing, isn't it? But it's beautiful. So it's not voluntary. And also if you're a part of a family, it's not private. It's not private. I mean, you're a family together. And so I don't choose, you know, I don't choose like, you know, when I'm gonna let my family into my life. No, we're, we're, we're in this together. This is what we're called to as Christ followers is not just to be like a, an aggregation of people who are coming in and just, you know, attending a service every once and again and just heading out there. No, 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 we're supposed to be a congregation. That means we're supposed to be a family, that we're connected. And that means that you are sitting next to somebody that you wouldn't have chosen for yourself if it, was, if it was up for you to choose. But that's the beautiful thing about it, is that this room is filled with people that you wouldn't have necessarily chosen. But here we are. And what, are we going to do the heavy lifting of what it means to be a community together? And that leads to my second to last one, which is the pain of community, because community is hard. It is so hard. Verse 15 from what we read said this, rejoice with those who rejoice, but mourn with those who mourn. It's easy to rejoice with those that are rejoicing, but it's really hard to mourn with those that mourn. And there's a lot of hard things that happen in family, right? There's a lot of hard things that happen in community. It is challenging. This is why in the book of James it says this. It says this. It says you can develop a healthy, robust community that lives right with God and enjoys its results only if you do the hard work of getting along with each other treating each other with dignity and honor. Hey, band, will you guys come back up? And uh, I want us to sing a song at the end. I'd love for us to sing that song. Um, but my last point here is the, the product of community. And I was thinking about what to, what to talk about this part. Like, there's so many benefits of, and we've gone through them all. It's that stability. It's that sense of place. It's that, it's that now we have more freedom because we're choosing to limit our freedom by being a part of a family together. I was, we, we've covered a lot of those things, but I just wanted to give you an example from my life about what community looks like and what I just so long for you to. And I can't take any credit for this, but, um, but it's just been such a blessing to Christy and I, but... Um, so I've got four kids. My oldest, Jeremiah, he's almost 12. And we've got another guy in our church, uh, one of our leaders, his name is Joel. And Joel is like really cool. <laughs> Joel owns a DeLorean, which is like 
one of the coolest things ever. Joel also is, you know, and when he was in, in uh, living in um, Hollywood, he was a film editor. He got to fil- he got to edit and work on some you know some things for some of the Marvel movies when he was down there. And when my kids heard about that, they were like, "Oh, we got to meet this guy. This is the coolest guy ever." And Joel's been just become just a close friend of mine, but also just a close friend of my kids, especially my oldest. And my son likes to make these like fun videos on his, on his iPad and he was sharing them with Joel. And Joel came to me with a proposal. Um, and he said, hey, I've got this idea. Are you okay with it? And I said, that sounds great. And so he showed up at my house. Um, this was a month or two ago. Joe shoulder at my house surprised Jeremiah, just sat down with Jeremiah, handed Jeremiah this letter. And he wanted Jeremiah to read it. I can't read the whole thing, but this is what the letter says. It starts talking about how when Joel was 10 years old, he started making movies on his little camcorder. camcorder, And he showed it to his his dad's boss. And his dad's boss was like, this kid's going somewhere. I want to invest in this kid. And so He says this, he says, there was this man by the name of John Creel that was my dad's boss. He saw my movie and was so impressed with the work that I'd done that he invested in me. And he bought me my first computer. And that computer became the foundation for all the work that I learned to do. And he says this, hey, Jeremiah, part of becoming a good man is not just being talented or successful or strong. It's about learning to be a good leader, investing in others, blessing others as you have been blessed and generally thinking less of yourself. I am still learning to do these things too. I'm 31 years old and I have much to learn, but what I have been blessed with, I wanna pass along to you. And I wanna pass it along to you, Jeremiah. He says, this is what I wanna do. Just as John Creel saw those seeds of talent in me, I see those seeds of talent in you. And to follow that analogy, it's time to water the seeds so that they can grow. And so he says, I want to invest in you like I was invested in. And so he says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to buy you a, a computer. It's going to be a powerful computer. It's going to be an amazing computer. Because, Jeremiah, I want you to be able to edit things together and just have a place to dream. And so I'm going to buy you a computer. And then I'm going to begin to teach you how to edit using the tools that professional use. I'm going to come over. We're going to go every, uh, every couple of weeks. I'm just going to train you and teach you how to do 3D rendering and all this stuff. He says, I want to do this, all this for you. This is what I'm going to provide for you. However, you must also bring something to the deal as well. In exchange for a computer... I require two things. He says, first, I want you to memorize an entire chapter of the Bible. He says, that's what I had to do to get my computer. And so I want you to memorize an entire chapter of the Bible. He says, memorizing scripture has been one of the greatest gifts that I have been given. And then he says this, and then I want you to choose between three to five verses from the Bible that mean something special to you, particularly verses that speak into your character and identity or words of promise from God. And we'll write those verse references on the inside of your computer case before we build the computer. These verses are to to remind you of God's promises to you, inscribed forever on your computer. Since this computer is gonna be used as a tool to further God's creative work within you, these scripture verses will seal will seal this promise. See, this is Jeremiah reading this letter out loud. And then he says this, he closes by saying, then armed with the power of scripture and a new powerful desktop computer, there will be truly nothing limiting you from developing your skills as a creator to the glory of God. 
If you agree to these terms, I want you to sign here. I see his signature right here. And guys, um, I mean, Jeremiah's reading this letter and here's this other, other man that just wants to invest in my kid. I can't teach him that stuff. I don't know that stuff. But here's somebody in the community that says, you know what? I've got something to offer. I see potential. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, let's, let's have those seeds grow. And guys, I am, Christy and I are just floored by that generosity. We did nothing to deserve it, but, but this is, but this is family. This is community. It's beautiful. Do you have, I mean, do you, are you investing in this area of your life? so that you can have those moments? Are you looking for ways to bless others? Are you looking for, the, for ways to, to water seeds that need to be, to be grown? Or are you too focused on just what you need and on yourself? Am I just focused on what I need? Those are the questions, those are the penetra- penetrating questions that we just have to ask ourselves. Do I have eyes to see others? Am I investing in them? And I just guarantee if you start investing in them, people wanna invest in you. Community happens, we grow in this. My time is done, but I just want us, I want us to be pandemic proof. I want you to invest in community and relationships and the church is gonna help you as best as we can. But at the end of the day, we can't bring it. We, I don't have a magic wand to do it. All I can do is just provide some people and some groups and some community and some environments and you've gotta want it. You gotta go after it. You gotta pursue it. Father, um, we worship you and we just respond to you tonight. And, um, and Lord, we just want to sing this song just to seal our time together. And, um, and Lord, I just pray that we, we just recognize that we need this desperately. We need community so much. And we, nothing in our culture is helping us get there. So Lord, would we be formed by you and you alone? That's our prayer. Lord, we pray that we would follow you and worship you together. Could we just stand together and just in response to what the Lord wants to do, could we sing this last song together?